morning. This morning's scripture reading is found in Exodus chapter 4, starting in verse 29, through chapter 5 to the end of the chapter. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it is on page 47. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshipped. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. But he said, You are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? 
For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's so good to be back with you after a few weeks away, and I'm very grateful to the brothers that filled in for me uh, in my absence. I'm so thankful for their faithfulness in preaching the word of God, and uh, it's just a real special gift that the Lord has given to our church. But we're back today in our exploration of the book of Exodus, in our study of the story of the second greatest rescue mission in the history of the world. And we left off, it seems like quite a while now, at the end of chapter four, where things were really starting to ramp up. And Timothy read just the last few verses of that chapter, just so that you could recall that feeling of knowing that Aslan is on the move. You know, um, he read it so that you could just re-experience uh, that sense of energy and expectation that you have when, when you know that the Lord is like rolling up his sleeves, ready to take action. And when we read that the people heard the Lord's words that was delivered to them through Moses and Aaron, and when they saw his signs, and when they understood that he had seen their affliction, that he had heard their cries, and that he has now visited them, we're like, let's go, as the young people like to say. You know, a, a generation ago, I, I would have said something like, it's on, like Donkey Kong or something. But either way, whatever expression you use, you're, what you're expecting to see at this point is fireworks. You're, you're expecting to see the Lord finally delivering his people with a, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This is, there's been a lot of preamble, but now we're at the main event. It's, it's about to go down. But then, I don't know if you felt this today, but our expectations come to a screeching halt when we come to chapter 5. And by the end of this chapter, Moses is complaining to the Lord that he hasn't delivered his people at all. I wonder, have you ever experienced something like that? Delayed deliverance. Slow cooker salvation. Have you ever had it where all of your, your hopes and your expectations about what the Lord might do for you in your situation, have you ever had all those hopes and expectations come crashing down? Have, have your circumstances ever made you wonder if God was maybe just putting on the Ritz when he rolled up his sleeves? Or, or what about this one? You know, when you're waiting on the Lord as, as patiently as possible, as obediently as you know how, and then your already difficult situation gets worse. Gets worse. It's you're like, what gives? The Christian life is not supposed to work like that. You know, the, that old hymn led us to believe that every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. You know, every, every day, that song goes like this, every day th this old load gets lighter, sweeter than the day before. Every day my pathway gets brighter, sweeter than the day before. Well... 
far from the old load getting lighter, we find the Israelites in this chapter back to their burdens. That's what we'll call this sermon. Back, in fact, to heavier burdens than they've had to bear so far. This is the heaviest burden of all. We, we were expecting to, the Lord to visit in a spectacular sort of a way. And now we're left wondering, where is he? You know, I, I don't know if you noticed this, but the Lord is, is conspicuous by his absence in this chapter. And we wonder, what is he up to? Can't figure it out. Once again, we, we find ourselves plagued by the why question. And speaking of plagues, where are they? You know, we were, we were ready for that. We were eager to see severe judgment fall on God's enemies. Why does it seem like judgment instead is following, falling on God's people? Well, the questions that we have vastly outnumber that the, the answers that were given, not just in this text, but it seems in the Bible and in the Christian life. But let's start here. Um, chap, chapter 4, verse 31 says, And the people believed. The people believed. After Moses um, and Aaron told them all of these precious promises of God and attested it by uh, performing signs and wonders, the people believed. And here's what we do know from the uniform testimony of Scripture, in the words of uh, a great Old Testament scholar, Alec Moitier. We do know that there is, quote, no such thing as an untested faith. There's no such thing as an untested faith. Pastor Dick has been preaching through the book of Job. As you know, that's a book in which that man's faith is tested most severely and proven genuine. Pastor Matt's been preaching through the book of James, and that's a book that begins right off the bat by urging us to count it all joy when we experience various trials. Knowing that, what do we know? The testing of our faith produces endurance, steadfastness. We don't have all the answers, that's for sure, but that's certainly a good place to start. It's clear that the Lord is interested in purifying us, in ferreting out our faithlessness and our unbelief. There, there's a kind of unbelief that is subject to his refining fire, but there's another kind of unbelief that is subject to the fire of his wrath. And uh, we're pre presented, it seems to me, with both species of unbelief in our chapter today. And so that's how we're going to attack this thing. This is how, what we're going to look at today, and we'll look at these in turn. First of all, there's a sort of hard-hearted unbelief. And then secondly, there is what I'm calling a broken-hearted unbelief. First, though, a hard-hearted unbelief. And this first kind is demonstrated by Pharaoh, and it comes to the surface as he is confronted with the word of God. Moses and Aaron, you know, boldly come into his presence, 
and they say, thus saith the Lord. And I think you know probably from your study of scripture that that's a, that's a formula. It's usually used in the prophets, but we see it as early as here. And it indicates that whatever is going to come next has the full weight of divine authority behind it. You, you need to brace yourself. If you're a sane person, that is, your, your ears are going to perk up and you're going to be ready to hear and to spring into action to obey whatever it is that the sovereign Lord is about to demand of you, to command you. And here is the command for Pharaoh. It's this. I'm trying to sum up, summon up my best uh, Charlton Heston voice. Let my people go. I didn't attempt it at all. But <laughs> that's it. Let my people go. And by the way, Pharaoh, they're my people. They're not yours. And as such, Pharaoh, they need to be freed so that they can worship me. Let them go that they may hold a fast to me, a feast to me in the wilderness. Well, that's the demand of Pharaoh. What's his response? Here's his response. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I, I uh, said it like that so that you'll understand, so it'll be really clear that this is not a genuine kind of a question that's seeking an answer. You know, like Pharaoh isn't uh, genuinely unknowing about the Lord and he just really wants to know who this Lord is. No, this is a defiant and dismissive statement. This is Pharaoh rejecting any kind of notion that there's any authority that's higher than his. As the king of Egypt, Pharaoh would consider himself and the people would widely consider him to be God himself. He, he's a God. He's a son of the God. He, he, he's not ready to hear that there's any kind of authority that is higher than he is. He's not going to acknowledge the existence of a superior someone who's going to make any kind of demands on him when he asks, who is the Lord? And when he asks that, he's not asking it. He's basically saying, who does, the Lord, who does this Lord think that he is to barge in here and demand things of me? Now, if you're wondering if maybe we're not just being, maybe, maybe we're just being a little bit too hard on the guy. You know, if you're thinking that he may just be innocently ignorant of the God of Israel and, and genuinely wants to know more about him and why he needs to obey him, well, then I think that's going to be cleared up in this next statement. Look at it. He says, I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. That, that's a very interesting statement to me, very perceptive, I think. What he's saying is, it makes no difference who the Lord is. I'm not going to obey him anyway. I'm, I'm reminded um, on this point of something that the, the great 19th century preacher John Albert Broadus told his students at the Southern Baptist Seminary. He said, agnosticism is an I don't know coupled with a plain, bold, I don't care. I like that. I think that's perceptive. 
Agnosticism is an I don't know coupled with a plain, bold, I don't care. Romans 1 gives us good reason to doubt the genuineness of anyone that claims to be an agnostic or an atheist. That chapter in Romans confirms what we all really suspected, which is that deep down, everyone knows that God exists. His attributes are clearly perceived through what he has made so that people are without an excuse. And then that chapter, as you know, goes on to identify the main problem people have, which is not that they, they just don't know. No, the main problem we have is our willful refusal to honor him as God, to glorify him, or to give him thanks. That's our problem. So unbelief doesn't spring from an innocent and ignorant heart. No, it gushes forth from a hard heart, one that is willfully rebellious. Nevertheless, Moses and Aaron provide Pharaoh with some information some more information if he seems to need it. You say, Pharaoh, that you don't know who the Lord is. Well, let us tell you a little bit more about him. He's the God of the Hebrews, you know, this, this people that you're currently enslaving. He's their God. And what's more, this God has met with us. He, he has spoken to us. And he demands that we, as his people, worship him. That's any, it's, it's his right as our God to be worshipped. And he demands that we would be freed to go to worship him, sacrifice to him in the wilderness. Because let me tell you something, Pharaoh. Let me tell you something else about this, Lord. He's full of righteous wrath and indignation. This is a God that must be obeyed. Otherwise, he's liable to fall on us with pestilence or the sword. You know, if, we, if we're unable to go, if we're not going to worship him, then our lives are in danger. This is a God who must be obeyed. This is a God who must be worshipped. Do you see, Moses and Aaron are, are casting this freedom to worship as an obligation that the Israelites have. But if Pharaoh had eyes to see, uh, it would be obvious that his failure to obey the Lord in this matter is going to render him susceptible to pestilence and the sword and maybe even 10 rounds of it. But the king, he's, he's undeterred. Uh, you know, for Pharaoh, more information about the Lord has only resulted in more dogged determination to oppose him and to oppose his people. This is, this is something else that the scripture is very clear about. You know, it's very clear about that strong connection between what you believe about God and what you believe about people. And how you treat God is very closely connected with how you treat other people. Love of God, the first commandment, is very closely connected to the second one that comes hot on its heels, which is love of neighbor. And so, on the other hand, when a person has no fear of God before their eyes, then they're likely to treat their fellow human beings like garbage. And this is, friends, this is why 
we live in such a brutal society. And I hope you have the eyes to see that we live in a brutal society. This is why there's school shootings. This is why there's violent assault when the fast food worker gets a, an order wrong. This is why people are mutilating their children's bodies in the name of affirmation. This, this is why women are, are used and ghosted by the men they match with on their dating apps. It's brutal. And at bottom, there's only one explanation for all of this. And it's not because there's a Democrat in the White House. It's not because the COVID lockdown made us you know, forget how to socialize. No, it's that there is no fear of God before people's eyes. It's his hard-hearted unbelief that makes Pharaoh view a whole people group as mere machines, you know, tools just that he can use to build his own kingdom. Gone are the days, and this, this almost seems mild, gone are the days of the previous Pharaoh who wanted to kill off the Hebrews, this Hebrew or this Pharaoh is thrilled that they're multiplying. You, you see, he points out the people of this land are now many. Verse five. He's thrilled about that because that's just adding to his workforce. Emphasis on the force. Anyways, as far as this Pharaoh is concerned, e even this conversation is a distraction from the task at hand. Back, back to your burdens. Away with you, Moses and Aaron, and away with your foolish talk of giving these people rest from their burdens. There's going to be no rest. In fact, that's the whole problem here. If you want Pharaoh's opinion, you guys have way too much rest. You've got, you must have way too much time on your hands. You're idle. You're lazy. That's why you can sit around and talk about such foolish things as time off to go sacrifice to your God. Therefore, Pharaoh determines in verse 9 that heavier work must be laid on the men so that they may labor at it and pay no more attention to these lying words. And by the way, there's another feature of hard-hearted unbelief. This, the conclusion that the word of God is an idle tale that it's just a bunch of lying words. Pharaoh apparently um, believes himself to be the arbiter of truth, and he declares that God's word is false. His words, on, on the other hand, are to be believed and obeyed. And I want you to see this. Look again at verse 1, please. Pharaoh hears Moses and Aaron declare, Thus saith the Lord. And his response is found in verse 10. Look there. It's found in what he has the taskmasters and the foremen say to the people. Thus saith Pharaoh. That's your response to thus saith the Lord? Thus saith Pharaoh? What audacity. What blasphemy. Pharaoh, you, you understand, has put himself in the place of God. He, he set the stage for a showdown. It's a showdown that I assure you 
he is not going to end well for him. If you don't set yourself against the almighty God as a mere mortal. But that's the ba- there's the basic anatomy of hard-hearted unbelief. It shows up as a denial of God, not because of a lack of information, but because of a determination to be top dog. You will not have anyone, let alone this man, rule over you. And the result is you end up just brutalizing people that are made in God's image. And part and parcel of a denial of the Lord is a, is a denial of his word. It's, a, it's the determination that everything that God has said is a lie. It's just idle words. It's just babble. And more often than not, the unbeliever blasphemes and denies God to his face. Now, Pharaoh might be a prime example of this kind of unbelief, but he is not, by any means, the only example of hard-hearted unbelief. And I want to particularly, particularly address anyone who may be here today who might resemble some of these remarks. I, I understand that you're, you, you wouldn't consider yourself as as terrible and as obvious as Pharaoh, but maybe you are dabbling with the notion that God cannot be known, that his existence cannot be proven. I want, I want to address you. I, I wonder if you'll have the honesty to admit that that's not your issue at all. You know there's a God. You know that good and well. The problem is that you will not have him to reign over you. You're you're not ignorant. You're just plain unwilling to obey him. You want to be king. You want to be queen. You're, You're living your life in fulfillment of your declaration, thus saith me. Your flesh commands something and you dutifully obey it every single time. And you expect other people to obey. And listen, I I realize that you're probably not in this moment enslaving a whole people group. But will you at least admit that you use people? You're, You're polite and everything, but isn't it true that you're mostly interested in others for what you can get out of them? You're, you're, you're friends with them insofar as they can supply bricks for your personal pyramid. If, if you resemble any of those remarks, I want to solemnly warn you of the extreme danger that you put yourself in in that position. You've you've set yourself against the one true and living God. You're you're poking a bear and you're between him and his cubs. And it's not going to end well for you. Okay, if you if you want to know what's in store, you can you can stick around and see what happens to Pharaoh. You can see what happens to his kingdom. But I also want you to just think about this fact as well that at this moment God's righteous wrath has not yet fallen upon you 
This is true of Pharaoh, too. The pestilence and sword are not yet on the scene. Moses and Aaron did not fling open the door and announce a series of plagues that were going to commence immediately. Rather, you see what's happening. God is graciously inviting Pharaoh to obey. He's, He's graciously inviting Pharaoh to acknowledge the sovereign God and to lay down his whip and to hit his his knees in worship. And friend, the Lord is graciously inviting you to do the same this morning. Psalm 2 urges you to kiss the son lest he become angry with you and lest you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed are all who take refuge in him. Yes, the the wrath of God is kindled quickly, but the good news of the gospel is that the Lord has put forth his own son as a substitute for hard-hearted sinners like you and like me. And as we begin this Holy Week, we're, we're reminded that the Lord Jesus Christ went willingly to the cross in order to die in the place of we who... Uh, you know, us like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. He's, he's gone to the cross for people like me and you who, who've pretended that there is no God. You understand what happened at the cross is that the wrath of God was quickly kindled, not against we who deserve it, but against his own son who bore it and who extinguished it so that we could be fully forgiven of our sin and our unbelief through faith in him. And so, friend, I'm urging you today, kiss the Son. Repent and believe on Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You'll be saved from the wrath that is to come. Let's look, secondly, at a slightly different species something that I'm going to call broken-hearted unbelief. And this is the kind that God's people struggle with. It was given perfect expression in Scripture, I think, by the man who had a demon-possessed son who would fling him into the fire. And this man came to Jesus, and in the course of their conversation, he cried out, I believe help my unbelief that that's where i find myself so many times we read in chapter 4 verse 31 that the people believed that's great but we see them here in this chapter plagued by unbelief and it's the kind of unbelief that a burdened and broken-hearted people are particularly prone to then and now. And this is a people who, you understand, Israel, this is a people that has been burdened for generations. They're, they're in Egypt, which is not their own land. They're, they're somewhere else. And, to make matters worse, they're enslaved. They couldn't leave if they wanted to. In the past, they've been the subject of an attempted genocide, and now they're being treated as less than human. Their, their spirits are broken and 
And you can imagine if you were in their place, you would just probably be going through the motions. Brick after brick after brick. Until Moses and Aaron arrive on the scene. And they come bringing this comforting word that the Lord has heard their groanings and and he's visited them. And as tangible evidence of that, you know, Moses was able to show them powerful signs with his staff and with his hand in his coat. Signs that the Lord had given to him to uh, really assure the people. And it worked. The people believed they, they did the only thing appropriate given the circumstances. They bowed down and they worshiped God. And you have to believe that the people are just elated at this news. Okay, finally, we're going to be loosed from our chains. The the Lord is going to show up in a spectacular way. He's going to finally save us. He's going to execute vengeance on our enemies. These guys are about to get lit up. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty, we're, we're going to be free at last. And it must have been hard to, to bake bricks that day, that day that Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh's plate, palace. When he, you know, you're probably thinking they're not even going to, all the bricks that are part of buildings are going to be falling into pieces in just a little bit here. So, But then also the people just must have been waiting with bated breath to, to find out you know, how this meeting went, what all day long they're asking, have you heard any news? What, what's the news out of the presidential palace? But here's the only news they hear that day. Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you any straw. Your, your daily quota of bricks is going to stay the same. But since you guys have so much time on your hands... You know, the, go- the government's no longer going to supply you with the straw for, for brick making. You're going to have to scrounge around and find little bits of straw and stubble. And, then, and you can use that to make bricks. Now, uh, just a slight aside here. Sometimes our Bible headings, which are not inspired, are a little bit misleading. You know, a lot of times it says something like making bricks without straw. That's not exactly true, is it? Actually, if, if they had to make bricks without straw, that would have been a little bit easier for them. No, bricks still are going to require straw for, you know, for strength and for structure. But now the Hebrews are going to have to source all that and supply all their own straw. And they're going to have to go to all over Egypt to, to try to scrounge all of this up. And at the same time, they can't let production drop even one brick. There's the news. That's that's the outcome of the meeting with Moses and Aaron. And you understand that it is, this is cruel. This is inhumane. This is completely unreasonable. And so, of course, the inevitable happens. These people are only human. Production drops. And so the, the people and, and the foremen are beaten. They, they ask for a meeting with Pharaoh. And they, they, they ask, why? Why are you treating us like this? Why are you beating us? They cry out. And by, by the way, you see that they're, they're crying out to Pharaoh. 
They're doing that in the same way that they had previously cried out to the Lord. Okay, I, that's, a, that's a change. Their, their first move is to cry out to Pharaoh when before they were crying out to the Lord. I wonder if Pharaoh will hear them and have compassion on, him, on them like the Lord did. So it makes you wonder, why, are, why aren't these people crying out to the Lord? You'd think that at our rock bottom, we would be quick to pray, that we would be almost a knee-jerk reaction to cry out to the Lord. But no, that's not how we do it. I say this to our shame. We, we look for human solutions. We bank on impossible odds rather than going to our generous God. Lord, forgive us for our reluctance to cry out to you in our time of need. And of course, Pharaoh is unrelenting. He he tells them that the, the reason that he's given them more labor is because they're idle. They're, you're lazy, he tells them. Otherwise, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be sitting around talking about all this worship and sacrifice to the Lord in the wilderness nonsense. You see what he's doing here? This, if, you're, if you're a heartless tyrant, this is a go-to move. You, you might even recognize this technique because we see it a lot these days. The move is to divide people. You, you get the people to be at each other's necks. The, it's a classic divide and conquer sort of a move. And Pharaoh has them associate their increased burdens with the meeting that he had with Moses. Though he, he puts those right two together. It happened the same day so that there would be no confusion. The reason that the people are in a worse condition is because Moses had the audacity to come in and demand your freedom. And so it has its desired effect. Look at the text. Moses and Aaron are waiting for these Hebrew foremen as they exit the palace with dejected faces, with bleeding backs. And the foremen immediately pounce on Moses and Aaron. Look at verse 21. They even call down an oath and say, may the Lord look on you and judge you. They're essentially saying, damn you, Moses and Aaron. You've made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. We're like a bunch of dead frogs to them. We, We were getting along quite nicely with them before you guys came along, but now they hate us, and you guys have done the opposite of what you said that you would do. Save us. Yeah, right. It's more like, You put the sword in Pharaoh's hand to kill us. Those are hard words. And they're coming from hurting people. So there's a sense in which we have to be really kind and compassionate as we listen in. And we have to be very kind and compassionate as people spew forth reckless, careless words to us in the midst of their burdens. There's a real need for for love and and grace here. 
But we also need to call this for what it is, which is unbelief. And it may be brokenhearted unbelief, but it's unbelief nonetheless. It's a, it's a failure to believe the word of God and the, and the promises of God. And it happens, friends, every time we allow ourselves to be blinded to the truth with the scales of our circumstance, if I could put it that way. The problem is, for these people, they've, they've forgotten what God has said to them. They, they've forgotten already what God has affirmed to them, even with signs and wonders. Let's just assume that, that Moses and Aaron were faithful to repeat the whole message that God had given to them to, to speak, uh, which would have included the, the truth, yes, sure, about their deliverance, but also you, you remember that that truth contained the reality that Pharaoh's heart was going to be hardened. And God already prepped them for this, that he initially would not let the people go. And that he's only going to let the people go when he's compelled to by God's righteous right arm and strong, strong hand. This was all part of the truth that they supposedly believed and worshipped in response to. But now, un under the, the heaviest burdens imaginable, that truth is slipping away. And it's not just the Israelites that fall into that. Moses does too. Look at verse 22. Moses turned to the Lord and says, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. <coughs> Moses also has forgotten the word of God. He's forgotten the promises of God. And as a result, he's uttering some very reckless words. He, he's, you see what he's doing here? He's accusing God of the same evil as Pharaoh is committing. That is evil, to say such a thing to God. But can I at least say this in Moses' favor? At least Moses has turned to the right person. One, one interesting detail of this whole chapter are kind of the, the hierarchies and the chains of command. For example, the edict comes down from Pharaoh to his taskmasters, to the foreman, to the people, and then the complaint goes back up through the same channel. There's a lot of hierarchies here. But Moses knows to go to the highest of all. Moses, Moses goes directly to the rock that is higher than he is, that is higher than Pharaoh is. And let that be a lesson to us, brothers and sisters. Turn to the Lord in, in your grief, in your, with your questions, with, even with your unbelief. Turn to the Lord. He desires to hear your heart. He, he longs that you would pour out your soul to him and that you would lay all of your burdens at his feet because he cares for you. And we should do this without <laughs> resorting to carelessness or blasphemy but we need to do this. 
when you're in the throes of, of broken-hearted unbelief, what's the thing to do? Pray. Pray. Where else are you going to turn? That may be the last thing that you feel like doing, but it is the first thing and the last thing that you need to do. And the other thing that we need to do is to preach to our souls. We need to rehearse the word of God and the precious promises of God. The very things that we are in danger of forgetting in that moment, we need to, we need to preach to ourselves. You, you understand that circumstances are going to pull your soul in a downward direction. You, we need to let the promises of God pull us and tug on our souls in the opposite direction. This, this is how you rebuke yourself. Say, say this, for example, in the words of uh, one of the songs that we love to sing here. Still, my soul, be still. Do not forsake the truth you learned in the beginning. Wait upon the Lord, and hope will rise as stars appear when day is dimming. We need to rehearse the promises of God. Repeat them. Read them. Repeat them. Look, I, I hope you understand that by calling this brokenhearted unbelief and kind of putting it in a separate class, I'm not excusing it. Because unbelief, no matter what species, unbelief is sin. And it needs to be confessed, and it needs to be repented of, it needs to be fought, it needs to be fled from. But there is some encouragement here, I think, because where we see unbelief among the people of God, and here's the difference with this first class of unbelief that I talked about. When we see it among the people of God, we see it as dross that is bubbling up to the surface in God's refining pot under his heat. And, and he, as the, as the refiner, is going to make sure that that is skimmed off so that what remains is genuine faith, that that's what endures. He's going to make sure of that. He's in the business of guaranteeing that. He's doing that in your life. This is, this is why we have difficulties. This is one of the main reasons. He's, he's purifying us. He's making us like Christ. And I understand, friends, that that many of you are in the midst of unspeakable burdens. You're, maybe you're enduring physical pain that no one can even imagine. You, you're separated from your family, whether geographically or relationally. You're, you're experiencing perhaps excruciating loneliness. You, you know that Holy Week is upon us, but your soul just seems so far away, miles away distracted by all of the all of the headlines and all of the things that are going on in your life i want you to, to be encouraged today the fact that holy week is upon us is actually very good news because what we desperately need in these times is the reminder of all that the lord god has done to to save us I am um, thankful for the worship team for 
the songs that they picked for us to sing today. And I, I paused in my soul at verse 2 of crown him with many crowns. Crown him the son of God before the worlds began. And ye who tread where he hath trod, crown him the son of man. Not just the eternal son transcended in all of his glory, but not clinging to that, he, he humbled himself and he took on human forth. And so we crown him son of man. He has tread where we trod. And then it says, who every grief hath known that wrings the human breast and takes and bears them for his own that all in him may rest. This is your savior. If you're trusting in Christ today, this is your savior. He's taken all of your burdens and, and he's borne them on his body on that tree so that you might be saved and so that you might be freed up to believe on him. Friends, this Holy Week reminds us far from what we would claim in our carelessness and our sin that God hasn't saved us at all. The cross and the empty tomb reminds us that he has saved us completely. I'm fully forgiven. I have nothing ahead of me except glory. And it's all because of Christ. Let's crown him. Let's crown him the Lord of Lords. And uh, I trust that the Lord will minister to you this week and to your soul. I encourage you to preach to your soul as you prepare your hearts to uh, worship him this Friday, uh, this Sunday. Trust that the Lord will richly bless us all.